All right, uh, this is from, this, uh, from the Bible. This is from Exodus chapter 2. Bible, of course it is. Um, so this is, from, this is uh, the teaching. Uh, now a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch. She placed the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Then his sister stood at a distance in order to see what would happen to him. Happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe at the Nile while her servant girls walked along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, sent a slave girl, took it, took it, opened it, and saw him, the child. And there he was, a little boy, crying. She felt sorry for him and says, this is one of the Hebrew boys. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and call a Hebrew woman who is nursing to nurse the boy for you? Go, Pharaoh's daughter told her. So the girl went and called the boy's mother, then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse him for me, and I will pay you wages. So the woman took the boy and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people. Looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hit him, hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? Who made you commander and judge over us? The man replied, are you planning on killing us as you killed the Egyptians? Then Moses became frightened and thought, what I did is certainly known. When, no, when Pharaoh heard about this, he, cried, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. And, and sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs to fill wa water for their flock, father's flock. Then some shepherds arrived and drove them away, but Moses came to their rescue and watered their flock. When they returned to their father rule, he asked, Why have you come back so quickly today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. So where is he? asked his daughters. Why, did, why then did you leave the man behind? Invite him to eat dinner. Moses agreed to stay with the man and gave his daughter Zephorah to Moses in marriage. She gave birth to a son whom he named Gershom, for he said, I have been a resident alien in a foreign land. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. They cried out, and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites, and God knew. May God bless the reading of his word. All right. So we got some, some work to do today. We're in Exodus 2. Uh, if you remember, we finished Romans uh, a couple weeks ago. And so what we're doing right now, we're starting a new series. And one of the things that I think about when I'm preaching is uh, the, the Bible kind of compares the Word of God to food. And when you're serving food, you kind of want somebody to have a balanced diet, yeah? And so when I'm thinking about preaching, I want to make sure that we have some ground in the New Testament. And also want to make sure that we cover some ground in the Old Testament. And so we're going to look uh, at selections from the life of Moses, okay? The series, series will be called Moses, the Man of God. And here's a key idea for the whole series, okay? Here's a key idea. Moses, the man of God, points to Jesus, the Son of God. 
Moses, the man of God, points to Jesus, the Son of God. One of the central prophecies in the Old Testament is from Deuteronomy 18, 15. This is uh, Moses speaking. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. So if you call, recall back when, when Jesus is with his disciples and he says, Who do men say that I am? One of the responses was, Are you the prophet? When he refers to the prophet, they're referring to this passage, that there was going to be someone like Moses, that it would be absolutely necessary that you would listen to him. And Christ fulfills this scripture. He is the ultimate prophet, the ultimate deliverer, and the ultimate rescuer. And we can see the salvation and the example of Christ through the life of Moses. So as we study what happened with Moses, we're going to be able to see different aspects of who Christ is, different aspects of our salvation in him. And from this passage in Exodus 2, the main idea is this, is that God uses everyday faithfulness to deliver and save his people. I'll say it again. God uses everyday faithfulness to deliver and save his people. So as you recall from the the, the passage, uh, there's this context of oppression. And if you go back to Exodus 1 and verses 15 and 16, it says, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, the first whose name was Sifra and the second whose name was Pua, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it is a daughter, she may live. That is the context. That that is why it was such a big deal that when Moses' mother delivered a boy, she's like, oh, I have to hide him because the Egyptians want to kill all the male children. Exodus 1 says that Pharaoh feared the large number of Hebrew people, which is why he decided to oppress them. He oppressed them by the murder of their children. He oppressed them by giving them very hard labor. He was thinking of all these ways to oppress them. And in this context, we have to look at the boldness of Moses' mother. Exodus 2.2, it says, The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. She said, I know that Pharaoh is trying to impress us. I know that that Pharaoh wants to kill my child, but nevertheless, I'm going to make sure that my child is protected. Now, what's interesting is it says that she saw that he was beautiful. Now, if you look at this this word in the original language, the word is tov. It's the same word that God used when he says, when he created all things, and he said it was good. When he created all things, before there was a stain of sin in it, before Adam and Eve sinned, when he said, it is good. That is the word. And so she looked at her baby and, and she said, this, this baby is good. There is, there is something uh, of, of creational dignity. It points to the creator when I am looking at my child. Now, this is interesting because this happens when everybody sees babies, right? Right? They're like, oh, well, some people know. Okay? <laughs> but most of the time when people see babies, there's this, oh, look, there's a cute baby. You know, what's, what's interesting is, is it's proven that abortion rates go down with increased access to ultrasound. 
Because you, you see. I, and I remember when my, uh, when my wife was pregnant with our first son, and, you know, the first thing you see is the, they detect the heartbeat, and you're like, oh, man, he's coming, you know? And then you see one, the next one's like real blurry, you know, but you're still excited. And then one time they got this 3D ultrasound, and I said, oh, man, he looks like me. <laughs> and I, but, 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 but I thought, man, this is good. You know, she rejected this heinous act and command from Pharaoh. And here's the deal. Pharaoh's murderous desire was rooted in fear and pragmatics. Why did he want to persecute the Hebrew people? Well, there are a lot of them, and they could get me. Fear and pragmatic. He was very logical in his thought process. And in our time, we can see the disregard for unborn children's lives that are rooted in fear and pragmatics. Some have financial fears. Some have fears of social pressure. Some have fears of losing individual freedom. Whatever the fear is, someone could explain it to you, and it would be very logical and pragmatic. But we must reject this fear by offering help, grace, and forgiveness. We must agree with Moses' mother that babies and children are, are told that they're good, that they're beautiful, that they are a gift from God. We live in a culture that has a high, high disregard for children. If I were to walk down the street and I were to say, I have three kids, people would go, oh, like I had a billion. Like, you know, like, I'm like, bro, chill, it's three. But like, I can't believe your life is so hard. Like, I like them, okay? It's all right. They're good. They're tov. They remind me of God's creation, His goodness. We must agree with this assessment about children from God. And this is an area in which we must pursue justice. Now, I want to make it very clear. I'm going to repeat this a lot. When we say pursue justice, what am I saying? There's four things. There's service, vocation, advocacy, and institution. So let's make it real plain. If we're going to pursue justice in this area, if we know somebody who is struggling with a crisis pregnancy, then we would serve them, yes? We would go out of our way to help them. We would look and hear their fears and even say, I understand your logical fears. That's why I am here to help you. If, if we are going to pursue justice in this area, we have to take our vocation seriously. The reason that people are afraid of having children is a lot of times they haven't seen a good example of a parent. And so those who are parents in this room, we have to display God's faithfulness and how we care for our children. That is pursuing justice. We have to, to have advocacy that, that, that there are times when we have to say, hey, listen, listen, we need to hold up what's right here, that we need to honor children, that we need to help women who are in tragic situations. We use our voice and advocate. And last one is institution. Listen, there's some down the street called the Piedmont Women's Center. It's a crisis pregnancy center where they offer assistance. If we're going to be serious about pursuing justice, we support institutions like that. 
If we're going to be serious about pursuing justice, we support institutions like the church, which teaches that babies are told good, which teaches God's ideal of sexuality, that, that there's this Genesis 1 idea that, that, that sex is taking place in between a man and a woman who are married. We disciple through the institution of the church because we have to have this multifaceted understanding of how we pursue what's right. It is more than just feeling a certain kind of way. There are tangible things we can do. Now, what I love about this story is there is no way that Moses' mother knew it was going to go down that way. Like, I'm, I'm sure she hoped, right? She hoped that, that, that Moses would be saved, but she could not have this definite assurance, right? In verse 5, it says, Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe at the Nile while her servant girls walked along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeves, sent her slave girl, took it, opened it, and saw him, the child. And there he was, a little boy crying. And she felt sorry for him. She ends up taking him into her house. Now, imagine what Moses' mother is thinking at this point. I bet she is praising God. This crazy plan worked. God used my, my acts of desperation to save this life. We can see that, that in this text that God is doing far more abundantly than she could ask or think. And this is a call for all of us to be bold, that, that, that we don't have to be afraid to follow God when the odds are not in our favor. Okay? We don't follow God simply when it's convenient. We don't follow God simply when, when we are assured of success. There are, there, is, there are a couple of seminaries in Ukraine, and they're like, they're talking to the seminary prisoners, are you going to leave? They said, no. We are called to this. We might have to go underground, but we are going to continue to preach this gospel. We don't just follow God when it looks like it's going to be okay. But here's the deal. When we follow God, even when it's hard, we can see God's miraculous deliverance and his providence. From this first part of the story, we, we see that, that the enemy attacks the value of life. In fact, there's a parallel to the life of Jesus. So the time of the birth of Moses, the leader was trying to kill male children. At the time of the life of Jesus, Jesus' life was in danger as a child because of the fear and pragmatics of King Herod. King Herod heard about a prophecy that there would be a king. And he was like, well, I'm the king, so I need to kill those who might take my kingship. And in his efforts to kill infant Jesus, he killed all the male infants in Bethlehem. See, the enemy seeks to kill, yet the preservation of life is from the Lord. And that is why we all instinctively lament when we turn on the news and we see war. No one has to tell you to do that. But when you see the loss of life, something in you knows it's wrong because the preservation of life is from the Lord. Jesus says that the devil was a murderer from the beginning, and that is his goal. When there's death and when there's murder, you know that that is the enemy at work. Yet the preservation of life is from the Lord. Now, some of y'all probably know how the, how the story with Moses ends. God saves Israel through the birth of a child. And y'all, God saved us through the birth of a child, through the birth of Christ Jesus. 
Matter of fact, when you see children, you need to be reminded of the fact that God saved you through the birth of a child. And not only that, that, that God is not done with humanity because children keep popping up. God is not done. Even though it looks bleak sometimes, God is not done. He still is going to use children and use people to preserve life. Now, we can see that Moses, he gets older, and, and he, he actually tries to save his people, but he was a little bit premature in his deliverance, okay? Moses was a premature deliverer. Now, we can see Moses' motivation. There's a New Testament sermon in Acts chapter 7 where it kind of reveals Moses' motivation for interacting. And, and, and it, says, it says in Acts 7, 23, when he, Moses, was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. When he saw one of them being mistreated, he came to his rescue and avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. He assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him but they did not understand. The next day he showed up while they were fighting and tried to reconcile them peacefully, saying, men, you are brothers. Why are you mistreating each other? But the one who was mistreating his neighbor pushed Moses aside, saying, who appointed you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me the same way that you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Listen, Moses sought to fulfill his mission before he was prepared and commissioned. He didn't have a word from God to do that yet. That happens in the next chapter. He tried to fulfill his mission before he went through the process of being prepared and commissioned by the Lord. We live in a, in a culture that wants to do everything right now. And so often, somebody has a vision or, or a desire or an idea to do something good, but they just want to go do the thing. In this, in this era of rejecting authority, Christians often try to bypass church leadership and live in isolation. And they have these high views of what they can do by themselves, but they have not been prepared. When you live in isolation, you have an inflated view of what you, you can accomplish on your own. And we can see that he wasn't prepared because Moses sought to save his people in an illegitimate way. Listen, if you pay attention to the text, he knew he was wrong. Exodus 2.12, it says, looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead. He wasn't being real bold. He wasn't having any public stand. He was being sneaky. And he knew he was being sneaky. See, when, when, when Moses is actually called, he's called as a public deliverer to be a mouthpiece for God. But instead, in this scene, he secretly murders instead of publicly defending we need to understand that a desire to do right is not enough. Listen, listen. Children often want to help, but they need training and skills to do things properly. Have you ever seen a YouTube video of kids trying to pour some juice? The juice is everywhere. I do it because they, they want to do what's right. But, but like all of us, they need to be trained and equipped to do what's right. So that means that we must submit to the process and the plan of God. God has to teach us and do work in us to accomplish the good through us. That means that he values faithfulness and submission. Our culture values get it right now, and I do what I want. Yet God values faithfulness and submission. 
Now, while Moses, he didn't seem to value that too much, we have this example of Christ who was faithful and patient. Christ knew his time and waited patiently on his father's commission. You know, when he was at that wedding, his mom was like, can you, can you do the thing? I know you can turn the water into wine. And she's like, it's not my time yet, mama. Right? Or he, he could even say, I only do what I see the father do. I only say what I hear the father saying. He knew how to be faithful and patient. Now, God did teach Moses, and eventually Moses demonstrated hidden faithfulness. So after he's found out, he runs away because he, he straight up didn't, you know, secretly murder somebody, but it wasn't that secret because they knew. All right, he's like, I got to get up out of here because they're going to get me. All right. So in Exodus 2.16, it says, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flocks. Then some shepherds arrived and drove them away, but Moses came to their rescue and watered their flock. Here's what's interesting. We can see that Moses is growing in his calling as a defender and a deliverer. Listen, he defended these daughters. They weren't his people. Yeah, remember the original thing, I got to defend my brothers. These are some other people. But he grew in his calling and he defended. And not only this, he got no notoriety from Israel for doing that. Israelites weren't like, look at him, he's a good deliverer. No, no, he was in the secret, yet he decided to do what was right anyway. And not only that, the, 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 the priest of Midian said, hey, why don't you marry one of my daughters? And why don't you, why don't you join my family? And, and what that means is why don't you join my family business? And it says he was a shepherd, okay? We don't do a lot of stuff with animals a lot, but y'all know sheep stink, right? Like it's not like the most fun thing ever, okay? So the, the idea is this, is this. His eyes were set on shepherding people, but he was called at that time to shepherd sheep. And he demonstrated a grimy faithfulness that nobody's sitting there going, good job. There's no public affirmation. He is shepherding sheep in the desert for 40 years. And I want you to understand that God honors hidden faithfulness. And so must we. I don't know anybody who has been used by the Lord to do something significant who did not have a season of hidden faithfulness. Because if you're not willing to do what's right, when, everybody can, when, when nobody sees, then you don't need to do it when everybody sees, okay? Then I look at Christ, who was faithful in obscurity for 30 years. The Son of God, the creator of the universe, lived for 30 years, and nobody knew who he was. And he wasn't trying, he wasn't trying to speed that process up. He wasn't like, oh, we got to do the thing. No, no, he showed hidden faithfulness. The one who said to the wind and the waves, be still, listened to his mama when she said, be still. The, 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 the one who, who healed so many people was patient. The one who had all power submitted. That's why at, the, at age 30, when he got baptized, do you know what the father said? This is my son and what? And whom I'm well pleased because he did not fight hidden faithfulness. He was faithful when nobody saw. So at the very, at the very end of the chapter, we, we, we need to see this. God sees his people. In, in Exodus 2, 23-25, it says, after a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. They cried out, and their cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. 
God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites. God knew. I don't know about you, there's some times in life where I don't know if he sees. Yeah? I'm like, do, do you really know? Listen, I, I, oh, to this point, this, they, they had been suffering for, for 400 years. I'm sure somebody was like, does he see? Does he know? Where is he? Listen, in this time, he is preparing a deliverer. He used the mistakes and the faithfulness of Moses to prepare him to accomplish this deliverance. Here's the thing. Some of the things that you hate the most are the very things that God is using to prepare you for his calling on your life. Those things you do, I wish I didn't have to do this today. Those very things. That is what God is using. And here's what I need to say. Is that just as God saw the Israelites in their suffering, God sees us. If you are suffering If you're in this room, if you're suffering, and you're like, does God see? Yes, he sees. God sees, and God knows. See, God saw us in our sin and under the bondage of Satan, and he sent Christ. And Christ is is God's promise kept to his people. See, we see this faithful Savior who was obedient and hidden faithfulness for 30 years, ends up on the cross for our sins. Why? Because God saw you. Because God knew you needed help. Because God didn't want to count your sins against you. Because God saw you under the tyranny of Satan. God sent Jesus. And you're like, does he hear? I promise you he hears because he has sent a Savior to deliver you. And even now, We have this promise that he will come again to finish the deliverance. So y'all, does God see? He sees. Does he know? He knows. Listen, does he know what's happening in Ukraine? Yeah, he knows. Does does he know about the famines uh, in Africa? Yeah, he knows. Does he know about the political corruption in South America? Yes, he knows. And what is he going to do? He's going to come back and set all things correct. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. You might be suffering and you might be viewing suffering. You're like, what is God going to do? Listen, God has sent Jesus and Jesus is going to come back again to set all things right. Does he know? Yes, he does. We have assurance because he came the first time and he's coming again. So maybe maybe you're in this room and you haven't haven't trusted in Christ because you're like, I see all this evil in the world. I don't, ah, it's really frustrating. Is God really there? Listen, listen, God is there. He has demonstrated his love for you in Christ. Come to him. He will save you from your sin and he will save you from all suffering on that last day. Now the question for us is, how do we embrace Hidden faithfulness. Listen, God, I, I'm, not, I'm not a prophet, okay, but Ephesians 2.10 says that God has a specific work for every single one of you. Every single one of you, God has a specific thing for you to do. So, so how do you get ready to do the specific thing that God planned for you to do? How do 
we embrace hidden faithfulness? Listen, it's not that you're just going to chill and one day you're going to do the thing. No, you got to get ready for what the Lord is going to do in you. And here's the deal. One of the ways that we embrace hidden faithfulness is through spiritual formation. I don't know about you, but prayer isn't always fun. And if you're doing it right, everybody ain't always looking at you, right? Fasting, look, fasting is not fun, okay? You know, we're, we're doing this thing. We're trying to encourage you to fast. Listen, when I fast, my head hurts the whole day, and my stomach is hungry. It doesn't feel awesome. <laughs> but listen, we embrace these spiritual disciplines. Listen, when, when we give sacrificially, it might hurt your pocketbook a little bit. And if you're doing it right, you're not telling everybody, right? <laughs> Listen, we embrace these spiritual disciplines of of Scripture and prayer and fasting and, and giving. Why? Why? Because God uses those things to form us into the people that can accomplish the plans that He has for us. Y'all need to understand something. Hidden faithfulness is not happy. I'm sure when Moses was in the, in the desert for 40 years, you know, making sure sheep don't die, I'm sure he wasn't like, this is awesome. You know, like, I mean, remember, he, he was like in Pharaoh's household. I'm sure he had nice stuff. He probably didn't have to deal with no kind of animals. I mean, he, he had a good life. But nonetheless, he embraced hidden faithfulness, and that is what we are called to do. It's not glorious but it produces fruit in and through you. You know, a lot of times we, 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 don't, we don't know how to connect what happens on Sunday to what happens on Monday through Saturday. But hidden regular faithfulness certainly applies to your week, does it not? Hidden faithfulness applies to your job. It's not always glorious. Hidden faithfulness applies to parenting. Hidden faithfulness applies to changing a diaper, okay, y'all? Let's just keep it 100. Hidden faithfulness applies to being nice to that person that's really frustrating to you. Hidden faithfulness is what you are called to do for the majority of your life. You have to know the call of God in your life is first lived out in everyday faithfulness. We got two dangers, right? One is presumption. We don't feel like we got to do this everyday hidden faithfulness because we can do the big thing. A presumption. The other, on the other side, is paralyzing fear. Maybe we feel like we're supposed to do something big for God, and you're like, how am I ever going to do the big thing? Well, do the, do the little stuff first. Do the, do, do the regular stuff that's in front of you, and God, and it will entrust you with more. That's why we talk about vocation. That's why we talk about calling. Listen, you are not going to be an awesome example for Christ if you are a really bad neighbor. <laughs> You're not going to be an awesome example for Christ if, if you ignore your spouse. You're not going to be an awesome example for Christ if you're always grumbling at your job. Yeah? But God uses the hidden faithfulness to produce fruit in you and through you. And listen, we know this is the case, and we see the prime example in the life of Jesus. How his hidden, everyday, 30-year faithfulness produced fruit that we get to benefit from, yeah? That, that we are the recipients of. So all I have to say is, is praise the one who saves us and the one who is preparing us 
for his plan and his glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your scripture. Your word says that, that, that all of scripture, it comes from the Holy Spirit. It is breathed out by God, and it is breathed out so that we would be equipped for every good work. So, Lord, would that purpose be accomplished in us today? Lord, I pray that, that maybe as I was preaching, people were, were thinking about specific things that you're calling them to do. Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength to follow through. And, Lord, that we would honor you in our, with our whole lives. Lord God, that we would use everything we have for your glory and for the good of those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.